As we wrap up Pride Month, I'm thinking about some of the specific concerns and challenges faced by people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer of any kind as they age, get ill, and die. Even if you aren't LGBTQ yourself, I invite you to listen and to think about this, not just because you may still encounter these issues in a personal or professional way at some point, but also because many of these concerns reach well beyond the queer community. Hello and welcome to Dying Kindness, the podcast for people who are going to die someday. I'm Sienna Stewart, and I'm going to die someday. Spoiler alert, you will too. So let's all do what we can to make key decisions now in order to be kinder to the people we'll leave behind. That's a dying kindness. A quick note about language. I often use the word queer as a general shorthand for all those who fall outside the heteronormative and cisgender mainstream in terms of sexual orientation and or gender identity. I identify with the word queer, but I know that not everyone in this community does. Not everyone identifies with LGBTQ either. Some prefer the extended LGBTQIA+. That is more inclusive because it explicitly includes intersex and asexual individuals, as well as having that plus sign on the end to recognize that there are still more variations. I love the inclusion, and I applaud it. I also admit that it is a mouthful. And since this is an audio medium, I'm going to default to either LGBTQ or queer throughout this episode. Today, I want to talk about a cultural phenomena that, frankly, we have never really encountered before and that I would argue we are woefully unprepared for. LGBTQ individuals who have spent decades being out in community and who are now aging and dying. I'll focus here in the United States but this is something that queers all over the world are grappling with. Some of my experience in death and dying comes from doing AIDS work here in San Francisco in the 1990s, so this topic feels very complicated for me. AIDS has killed many, many people, particularly gay and bisexual men, and transgender women. So it does feel amazing now to talk about the needs of queer community elders. I say it with a recognition that some segments of the community are missing a lot of elders. But even in communities that suffered huge losses, there were some who survived and who are now getting old. In the wider conversation about senior care and the medical system, there are some issues which are unique to aging queers and some which are simply amplified versions of what many people face. In the U.S. and elsewhere, there's an implicit expectation that family members are responsible for carrying each other as they age or get disabled, with a burden usually falling to spouses or children. But even though same-gender marriage is now legal in the United States, queer people are less likely to be married than straight people and are less likely to have children. Broadly speaking, solo agers are common in the LGBTQ community, and for most solo agers, the most likely caregiver is a biological family member. But LGBTQ people are more likely to have strained relationships with their family of origin. Even when they get along with their family, it's very common for queer people to have moved away from wherever they grew up to be living lives completely separate from the rest of their family. They may feel much more connected to people that they refer to as their chosen family, turning to them for emotional and practical support on all kinds of topics. But unless legal paperwork is in place, 
members of a chosen family have no rights when it comes to being involved in medical decision-making, financial management, or other aspects of senior care. Also, I have noticed that unless it's been explicitly discussed, it's not clear that members of a chosen family would feel the same level of obligation or commitment to do things like take in an elderly loved one to live with them. This is even more so if the elder develops significant physical or mental disabilities. The end result is that many older queers feel like they have to fend for themselves and have no fallback. If they can't stay in their home for some reason, there aren't very many LGBTQ-specific senior homes or nursing facilities, and going into one for a general population may come with challenges. Many people in care facilities have roommates because private rooms can be expensive. Finding a compatible roommate means hoping not just for a match in personality and living habits, but also one who is comfortable living with someone who is queer. Trans elders may experience further difficulties getting their gender recognized correctly when applying for gender-segregated living facilities. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that senior care and end-of-life care can get extremely expensive, made more so by the kind of illnesses or disabilities that are so common as we age. This, too, can be a particular problem because lesbians and transgender people are more likely to be in a lower income bracket and to have less savings. Trans people face high rates of workplace discrimination, and as long as our health insurance remains tied to employment in this country, this has a long-lasting impact on their finances, health, and well-being. Systemic discrimination is nothing new, and sadly, it's still present and in some places may be on the rise. Healthcare is no exception. Many queers who are now in their 70s or older have a lifetime of experience being discriminated against within the healthcare system directly as a result of their sexual orientation or gender identity. As a result, they often carry a deep distrust of medical providers and may resist doing things like routine or preventative checkups, resulting in more acute needs when they finally do seek care. Finding the right provider is an issue for everyone. If you were to look for a geriatrician in your area, someone who specializes in the health needs of seniors, you probably won't be able to find one. There are very few providers outside of major cities, and even those are vastly outnumbered by the ever-expanding aging population. Good luck finding someone who then also has experience addressing the needs of the LGBTQ community. Sensitive senior care includes addressing many topics that we generally avoid discussing, and bumping up against feelings of loss of dignity or identity. As we age, many of us will lose the ability to do what are known as activities of daily living, or ADLs. For instance, we become dependent on others to help us do things like use the toilet or take a bath. This can be difficult for many of us, but transgender individuals may carry unique concerns about the loss of ADLs. For them, needing to reveal their body and to have others interact with their genitals can carry particular concerns. It may even be traumatic, leading them to hide, causing other health problems. Even for those who are cisgender, gay, lesbian, or bisexual, the issue of sexuality can be difficult for their senior care providers to discuss, let alone care for. In general, our society has a hard time accepting that many elderly people still have sexual desires. When those desires fall outside the mainstream, there's almost no map at all. This is not to say that the only issue is about whether or not an elder is still sexually active. The loss of sexual desire can greatly impact someone's sense of self. 
particularly when that desire has been a central issue of someone's life and the source of discrimination and strife, as it has been for so many in the LGBTQ community. In many situations, the assumption of heterosexuality affects queer individuals by requiring that they come out, meaning explicitly state their identity, in order to be recognized for who they are. They may have to do this multiple times if, for example, they develop a complex illness requiring a number of specialists, nurses, and other providers. There are already plenty of tough things to discuss when facing disability or death. It's an added burden to have to come out and advocate for yourself, re-explain your version of family or gender, and take the time to educate providers in order to get proper care. Those who have a long-term same-gender partner may avoid some of this simply by introducing their partner or by having photos around. But this does nothing for those who identify as bisexual. They can feel invisible when their sexuality is defined by the gender of their partner, further exacerbating the need to come out explicitly. And any queer who comes from a family which denies their identity may face further hardship in getting their needs and wishes met regarding their own care or how they want their partner or chosen family to be treated. One hopes that the provider would be an advocate for the patient, but there is always a risk that they may side with a family in these situations. So far, I've been talking about the process of aging, but there can be more issues that arise in the process of dying and after death. For one thing, many of our end-of-life traditions are based on organized religion, which has a history of stigmatizing and discriminating against LGBTQ people. What gets discussed at the bedside of a dying person, and whether or not it is appropriate to say prayers, can cause tension among grieving loved ones. Unless it was made clear, after death there may be arguments over what kind of service should be held, if any, what should be done with the body, and even what names and pronouns should be used in an obituary, and who should be recognized as surviving family. I hope it's becoming clear to you that we have a long way to go when it comes to caring for our LGBTQ elders in ways that support and respect their identities. What little information exists that aims at teaching providers about caring for queer clients is relatively new and not widely distributed. I read the book LGBTQ Inclusive Hospice and Palliative Care by Kimberly D. Aquaviva. It's quite good and very practical and is the only book that comes up on an Amazon search for the term LGBT hospice. That's ridiculous. This is a personal area of interest for me, and I aim to develop more resources in the future to help fill this giant gap. And I want to connect with other people who are doing this work. I am proud of everything that I and others have done over the decades to raise the visibility of everyone in the queer community and to demand protection for our rights. It's amazing to me to see so many positive queer images out in the world. It's also disheartening to experience the backlash, to see how people are trying to claw back progress through discriminatory legislation. I retain faith and hope that in the long run, we are moving towards a more inclusive and loving world. And I would like that to include loving and appropriate care for everyone who is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer of any kind through the end of their life. As I close, I want to remind you that Dying Kindness is ad-free and listener-supported. If you get value from what I'm doing and you want to give back, go to dyingkindness.com. You can do a one-time or monthly contribution through Buy Me a Coffee or Patreon. I also have a bookstore of books I've read and recommend relating to all aspects of death, dying, and grief. And if you're not yet on my mailing list, please sign up. 
you'll get a free template for your Deathbinder, as well as advance notice of upcoming workshops and other resources that I send out once a month. Thank you for joining me today. If you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Join me in my mission to change our society's reluctance to talk openly about death. Let's work together to not make it harder than it has to be. For more about all of this, go to dyingkindness.com. Today's music is by Blue Dot Sessions, and everything else was done by me. I'm Sienna Stewart, and I'm going to die someday, but hopefully not before I get to enjoy another season of Pride. Today's death reading is If time is queer and memory is trans and my hands hurt in the cold, then by Raquel Salas Rivera, published by the Poetry Foundation. There are ways to hold pain like night follows day, not knowing how tomorrow went down. It hurts like never when the always is now than now that time won't allow. There is no manner of tomorrow, nor shape of today, only like always having to leave, from and toward the futures could be, in order to never more see the sea. And if forever proves me wrong, it'll hurt with the hurt of before the before. It'll have to take me along, all the never enough of why and therefore. Life has given me much to believe, but more is the doubt that undid what I know. For, like night follows day, the pleasure is sure, a forever beginning once more.